I cannot get grass to grow in my backyard. For the last two springs, I have been trying. And while there's some grass, there's still this large, round area of dirt. Our house was a new build, so when they built the house, they put sod in the front and around the sides, but the back, they just kind of threw some seed down and covered it with hay. So my first spring, I noticed that the grass wasn't coming in. I thought I'd give it a little boost, right? I went to Lowe's and I got some more grass seed. I even bought some more hay, laid it all out, but nothing happened. I had a few patches come in around the edges, but it was still mostly just dirt. The next spring, following the advice from a friend, I got what is called easy seed. It's like a seed and fertilizer mix. I bought some better, uh, something better than hay this time. I, I bought a green seed carpet looking thing. This is a product that's designed to protect the grass seed. After that, nothing. And after that didn't work, I realized that it's probably not a problem with the seed or the fertilizer or what's covering the seed. It's probably a problem with the soil. Because you see, my backyard is all red clay soil, that Alabama red clay soil that's all packed down. And to give the grass the best chance in a soil like that, it has to be tilled a little bit. It has to be mixed with some lighter soil. So I guess that's the next thing I'll try. And isn't it interesting, though? It, it, the problem of bad soil for plants isn't new. We know that because Jesus, is, Jesus uses this same idea in the parable of the sower found in Matthew 13. That's the parable that we're going to be looking at tonight. If you want to go ahead and turn there, Matthew 13. From this parable, Jesus shows us that when it, when it comes to salvation, the heart of man and not the word of the kingdom is the root of all unbelief. And really, that's the main point that I want us to see tonight. If you're a note taker, I'll say it again. The heart of man not the word of the kingdom, is the root of all unbelief. And there are two things that I think that we ought to do in light of that truth tonight and in our Christian life. Number one, we ought to be durable in our evangelism. Since the heart of man and not the word of the kingdom is the root of all unbelief, we ought to be durable in our evangelism. But secondly, we also ought to be diligent in our salvation. Durable in our evangelism and diligent in our salvation. So again, our text tonight comes from Matthew 13. We'll look at verses 1 through 9, and then we'll look at verses 18 through 23. So that's Matthew 13, 1 through 9, and 18 through 23. So if you found it, follow along as I read. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them out. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, 
some 60, some 30. He who has ears, let him hear. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for your word where we can look at the Bible. Father, I pray that tonight you would help us to conform to the image of Christ, that you would use your word mightily among us. Encourage us, convict us, draw us near to yourself. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. So what's going on in this parable? We have a sower sowing seeds, and we've got all these different outcomes. We've actually got four different outcomes. The seeds are all the same, but there are four different types of soil that they fall into. And so the outcomes we see are actually dependent on the soil. And like we've been seeing all semester, we, we know that most of Jesus' parables are allegorical, meaning each thing in the parable usually represents something else. And that's what we see here. And what's interesting about this parable is Matthew doesn't only record the parable, but he also includes Jesus' explanation of it. So for this parable, we don't have to dig deep to find out what everything means. Jesus actually tells us. But before we get started, you have to remember, this parable doesn't tell us everything we know or everything that we need to know about salvation. That's important because trying to wrench out meaning where Jesus doesn't intend would be wrong. But we can fill out some of our theology of salvation from the rest of the Bible. But what this text does do is it gives us some basic categories for understanding conversion and salvation and why people reject the kingdom of God. You, you may have wondered that before, right? Like, why do so many people reject the gospel? Even more pressing question, well, why do some people fall away? If you've ever wondered these questions, Jesus gives us the basic categories for understanding them, which the Bible fills out in more detail. But enough introduction, let's get to it. Because in verse 18, we see Jesus lay out what everything represents. The seed represents the word of the kingdom. This is the good news that the kingdom is at hand. The Messiah, Jesus, has come. Basically, this is the gospel. And, and the soils represent the hearts of men. Do you see that in verse 19? It says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. So just like seeds are sown in soil, 
The word of the kingdom, the gospel, is sown in someone's heart. And when we keep going, Jesus' explanation, we see what each soil type represents. First, we've got the path, which never allows the seed to penetrate the soil at all. So, So the birds just come and eat the seed. Jesus says that this represents someone who hears the word of the kingdom and doesn't understand. So Satan snatches the word away. Then we have the rocky ground, which actually doesn't have enough soil. This means that there can be no depth to the roots. Jesus says this represents one who hears the word with joy, but because it has no roots, whenever trial or persecution comes, it withers away, scorched by the sun's heat. Then there's the soil covered in thorns, which choke out any chance of the seed growing. And Jesus says that the thorns and the thorny soil represent the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choking out the word of the kingdom. And finally, lastly, we have the good soil. Jesus says it represents the one who hears the word and understands it, eventually bearing fruit and multiplying. So we have three bad soils and one good soil. Having put all this together, though, there there are some questions naturally that are going to arise in your mind. Because remember, this this parable doesn't tell us everything we need to know about salvation. It merely gives us some categories for some specific things. But, But the first question that might come to your mind is, is this passage of Scripture even about salvation? Or is it about something else? Well, I think it's right to understand this parable to be about conversion and salvation. I think that's right. For starters, when Jesus talks about plants that bear fruit versus plants that don't bear fruit, he's usually distinguishing between true conversion, those who are born again, and false conversion, those who profess righteousness or profess faith but are not truly righteous or are not truly his followers even uses this language to describe those who outright reject him. And so all of this talk about fruit and plants, we see this, I mean, just in the Gospel of Matthew, we see it in Matthew chapter 3, Matthew chapter 12, Matthew chapter 21. That's just Matthew's Gospel. We should hear when Jesus is talking about fruit and plants as talking about conversion and salvation. But the second piece of evidence that this is all about salvation and conversion is that it's all about response to the word of the kingdom, which we know is what determines your salvation. If if you respond to the word of the kingdom, the word that Jesus is the Messiah, if you respond to that in faith and repentance, that means you're saved. If you reject that message, that means you aren't. So so it's right to understand this parable to be about salvation, true conversion, false conversion, and the absence of conversion. But the second question that might come to your mind, that might arise in your mind, comes from the fact that the three bad soils all revolve around circumstances and situations that the soils find themselves in. might cause you to think that the soils... And our hearts, for that matter, aren't really that bad. They're just kind of neutral. It's what happens to us when we hear the word that keeps us 
from being saved. Things like Satan, suffering, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, all those things get in and and mess up a naturally good, neutral soil. Because don't we see that the good soil is just soil, absent of all the bad things? Well, no, I don't think that's right. Because again, one of the dangers of this parable and any parable is over-interpreting them. And in this parable, since Jesus gives us the explanation, we we shouldn't go further than what he says. And Jesus sees the soil and what's going on in it and around it as just one thing. So I think we should see it as one thing. The soil is bad because of the things going on in it and around it. Just like the heart is bad because of what's going on in it and around it. Separating those two things out, soil from the situation, is, makes, is making the parable say things that it just doesn't say. But furthermore, it, it, it makes the parable say things that aren't actually supported elsewhere in Scripture. Another reason we should reject that interpretation is because Scripture actually says the opposite. It says the opposite of we're all neutral and it's the stuff around us that makes us good or bad. Think about what Genesis says about why God flooded the earth in Genesis 6. Genesis 6, 5 says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. Or Jeremiah 17, 9, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Just in case you think it's just all the Old Testament, Paul affirms this in Romans 3, verses 9 through 18. He says, For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Jesus himself affirms this idea in Matthew 15, verse 19, saying, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. And so when we fill out this parable with the rest of Scripture, we actually learn something not so good. All of our human hearts naturally are just a mixture or a variation of bad soils. In order for the seed to find good soil, for a heart to be receptive to the kingdom and receptive to the gospel, God has to intervene. God has to soften our hearts, change our hearts so that we would be receptive to the kingdom. This is what Jesus means when he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, He cannot see the kingdom of God. God is the only one who changes soils and prepares them for the seed of the kingdom. And this is what God does when he saves us. This is why 1 Peter chapter 1 describes it this way in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Okay, so so we understand that we're not naturally good. Naturally, the bad soils represent humankind. But but why do I say that this should cause us to be durable in our evangelism? 
Well, as Jesus continues to preach the good news of the kingdom with his disciples, Jesus wants them to know, spiritually speaking, just what's going on. He wants them to know how to interpret the events that are happening around them, why some people believe and others don't. And I think that has a profound implication on how we view our attempts at evangelism. The same thing that is true of those who hear Jesus will be true of those who hear us. For truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Which is why I think that a parable like this should cause us to be durable in our evangelism. When I think about durability, strangely enough, I think about my Apple AirPods. Let me tell you what I mean. A couple of weeks before Christmas, I'm looking for my AirPods. I can't find them in any of the normal places that I keep them, which is literally just anywhere in the house. So that's when I remember, oh, they're in my jacket pocket. I left them in my jacket pocket. After I start looking for my jacket, that's when I remember earlier that day, I actually washed my jacket. So I rush over to the washing machine and I confirmed it. I did, in fact, just wash this jacket. So the only thing left to do was look in my jacket pocket, see if I had left my AirPods in there. And yes, you guessed it, I did. I washed my AirPods in the washing machine full of liquid. So I took them out, I immediately checked them to see if they still worked. And after a loud static noise in my ear that has decreased my hearing since, they started working. To be honest, every now and again, I still get a little static shock there. For the most part, my, my AirPods still work after being washed in the washer machine. Those things are durable. I think a passage like this helps our evangelism be, to be durable too. It's able to withstand rejection and confusing situations. But what does durable evangelism look like in your life and in my life? Well, I think bringing this parable to mind in the moment that you feel rejected by someone because of your faith is what it looks like. Sharing your faith is one specific way that you apply this text. And when you do that, you'll notice that often you're rejected, but you can call this text to mind knowing that it can be a comfort for you. Remind yourself of this parable when you share your faith or invite someone to church or have a spiritual conversation that ultimately leaves you feeling rejected. Remember, you are in good company because Jesus was treated this way. But the, the, the truths found in this parable combined with what we see about the human condition from the rest of the Bible should cause us to pray for those who reject the gospel and who we are trying to reach with the gospel. But because of heart if hearts are soils and, and you need good soil to receive the word of the kingdom, we need God to prepare people's hearts to be able to receive the gospel. We only sow seeds. We, we can't change people's hearts. But we can humbly come before the God who does change hearts and pray. We should pray. We should pray for people by name, specifically in our small groups, in our quiet times. We should pray against the works of Satan that he would not snatch any seed away. We should pray that people would not be ensnared by the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. We should pray that trials would drive people to surrender themselves to God, not to run further from him. We should pray for the miracle of good soil. When was the last time you prayed for God to change a hard heart? Sadly, 
Another thing this means is that not everyone who excitedly professes faith and springs into action is actually saved. We, we can't be crushed when a month, two months, a year later, someone that we thought was so on fire for God just simply falls away. J Jesus warned us of this. But it also means that eventually, if we're durable in our evangelism, we will often see God change hearts and people come to Christ. And when that happens, we need to be right there, ready to disciple, because a new believer needs roots. They need to go deeper in their faith. If, if they're going to do that, they're going to need help. We as Christians, we are called to make disciples. That means helping others in a variety of ways develop deep roots in their faith. Maybe for you that looks like listening just a little more intently and speaking into an issue that you might hear someone talk about in small group. Maybe that means starting a one-on-one -on -one Bible or book study with someone who is struggling or just wants to grow. Maybe that means exploring a topic together. Most of you know I love giving book recommendations if you need help on a subject love to give you a recommendation. Don't be afraid to go deep. New believers need roots. But not only do I think that this parable should help us be durable in our evangelism, I also think that it should cause us to be diligent in our salvation. Diligent in our salvation. Well, what do I mean? Well, with all of the things that can go wrong here, the, the deceitfulness of riches, the cares of this world, shallow roots, Satan's snatching, we shouldn't only apply texts like this to others, but to ourselves. We, we should also be diligent to make sure that we aren't the ones being described in this parable with the bad soils. But even that suggestion that, that, that we should be diligent in our salvation, logically, you might already be thinking... Does that mean that I'm in a real danger of losing my salvation? Aren't you only diligent to keep things that you could potentially, possibly lose? It's a conundrum, isn't it? Because I believe, as many as you do, that the Bible teaches that a believer cannot lose their salvation. First and foremost, it's God who's doing the saving. We can't lose something that God has done. But also, Jesus clearly teaches that we can't lose our salvation in John chapter 10. In verse 27, Jesus says this, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So then, wait a minute, why, why would I say to be diligent in your salvation if we know that we can't lose our salvation? And then furthermore, how, how do we understand people falling away from the faith? Well, if we consult the Bible, it has answers. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, it explains it this way. John, speaking of those that fall away, says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain they are not of us. So in the grand scheme of things, we see that the ones that fall away, or as Jesus puts it in this parable, withers away because of suffering and persecution. That's not an example of a true believer falling away. It's actually 
an example of a false believer being revealed as false. But it just looks like a true believer is falling away to us because we can't see the heart the way that God can. Jesus even says in Matthew chapter 7 that some of these things won't even be revealed until the last day, which probably raises another question in your minds. Because if a true believer cannot lose their salvation, and if I fall away, it proves that I wasn't really a Christian to begin with, why even worry about it at all? Isn't it all just up to God? Well, yes, you should worry about it. Because here's the thing. The way that we see the world and the way that God sees the world completely different. What we see things happening in, in real time, he sees and ordains the end from the beginning. And God not only ordains the outcomes, but he also uses means. He ordains the ways that the outcomes come about. And one of the means God uses to keep you persevering in the faith are warnings given throughout Scripture. Are you following me on that? God has ordained that all true believers will continue until the end. And one of the ways that he accomplishes this is through warnings. You take heed of the warning and then you endure. All along you were going to endure, but the warning was the way that you endure, ordained by God. This is why we have all those warning passages in the book of Hebrews. Listen to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. It says this, Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold to our original confidence firm to the end. Did you see that? Not only does the writer of Hebrews warn you to not fall away, he also confirms that a true believer will make it to the end, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. And the truth is, we, we can't fully understand or comprehend exactly how all of this works, how, how our responsibility and God's sovereignty work together, how we have responsibility, free moral choices, but God is totally in control. We don't fully understand it. And that's because God is God and we are not. But the point is clear. Heed the warning and take heed lest you fall. Don't try to live your life from God's perspective, trying to know the end from the beginning, thinking you have to have God's knowledge in order to function. Live your life from your human perspective and heed God's warnings in humble obedience. And when it comes to this parable, we'd be wise to heed its warnings, which should make us diligent. When I think of remaining diligent, Reminds me of a game that my wife's family loves to play. Is it my favorite game, by the way? It's a game called Nerds. Some people call it Dutch Blitz or Peanuts. I see we got some fans in the house. Don't invite me to play. Thank you. To be fair, the reason that it's not my favorite game is because I'm just not good at it. <laughs> I, I'm that guy that doesn't like to play games that I'm not good at it. But I do play because it's family and family time is more important than games that I'm good at. So the way that you play this game, though, 
is every player uh, playing there has a deck of cards. So four people are playing. There's four decks of cards, right? You shuffle them. And then once you start, it's like you're all playing four different games of solitaire at once. And then there's another game of solitaire in the middle that everybody's playing. I can't even explain it. That's how bad I am at it. But you've got your pile, and then there's a community pile. And the game moves extremely fast. I mean, when, when Bailey's family and I play, people are standing at the edge of the table trying to get the best position to play. And whoever runs out of cards, their, their, their nerds pile wins. At least I think that's what happens because I've never won. And I don't think I have to convince any of you that I am not a very quick person. I pretty much come last every time we play that game. And the winner is always someone who's able to see what's going on all over the table and remember what cards they have in their hand. A person who is diligent. And that's why it reminds me of how we're, be, we're to be called to be diligent in our faith. But how do we get specific with that? How do we get specific with diligence in our faith? I think a good question to ask is, what are some of the things that our passage mentions that are the enemies of good soil? Well, there's a strong warning here against the deceitfulness of riches. Like many of the parables that we've looked at or that we will look at, Jesus is constantly and consistently issuing warnings about riches and money. And Jesus here says that riches can be deceitful. Have have you ever thought about riches being deceitful? What does it mean for riches to be deceitful? The deceitfulness of riches is what happens when having riches or seeing others with riches causes you to believe that they are all you need, that riches are all you need. So even if you don't have the riches yet, you can look and see someone with riches and think, once I have that, once I have what they have, I'll be good. I'll be set. That everything comes down to money. And and again, like we saw with the rich man and Lazarus, having riches doesn't necessarily mean that you're deceived by them. But there's these strong warnings against riches and the deceitfulness of them. We're to guard our heart against it. Don't let your life goals and your life in and of itself be all geared toward having riches, trying to get rich. Riches are deceitful. Even as college students, when you think about the career that you're going to go into, when you think about leaving college and going into a field, don't just think about what will make you the most money. Think about how to steward the unique gifts and opportunities that God has given you. Use them for the good of your community and for the good of your family. Use them to honor and glorify God. But Jesus also says in this parable that the cares of this world can choke out the seed of the word. What does this look like? Well, it looks like letting normal, everyday everyday things that we all have to care about, letting those things become obsessive and take over your life. What we'll eat, what we'll wear, where we will work, cars, houses, stuff, It's letting that completely take over your life and your time to the point where you don't have any time or energy left for the nourishment of your soul. They literally choke out the kingdom in your life. It's when you say you don't have time to go to church on Sunday or 
You don't have time to read your Bible or pray. It's really about what you prioritize. The misprioritization of your life can often have disastrous effects on your faith, leading some to even fall away. But not only that, remember what I said about how important it is for new believers to grow deep roots. Well, whether you're a new believer or not, that's an important thing for every Christian to be growing in. It's important for you as well. Because Jesus says here that those without roots can last for a little while, but when persecution and trial comes into your life, if you do not have roots, you will wither away. So how's your root system? Are you growing deeper in the things of God and in your understanding of his word? Are you prepared for the suffering as a Christian that this life will bring? Deepen your faith now. Don't risk being withered away by the scorching heat of persecution and suffering. But as we think about how to be durable and diligent, we must not neglect one of the most powerful encouragements for our soul, returning again and again to the original word that was spoken to us the word of the kingdom, that although we were all bad soil who have willfully rebelled against God, who have cared more about the things of this world, who have cared about pursuing riches, who are fickle and unreliable, who have hard, stony hearts, God, being rich in mercy, sent his son, the only one good, the only one with a pure heart, who died for us in our place. And the power that raised him from the dead is the same power that made us alive together with Christ. The same power that makes our hearts receptive to the good word of the kingdom. The very son that proclaims the kingdom to you is the king who died and was raised again. That if we put our faith in him, we can live forever with him in his kingdom. Let's remember that and let's pray. Father, thank you so much again for your word. Thank you for the way that you teach us with all wisdom and all knowledge and parables. Father, I pray that as we think about this passage and message this week and even into the future, Father, that we would be a people who are durable in our evangelism, who would not let the rejection that we face keep us from pressing forward. Father, that we would also keep a watchful eye on ourselves, that we wouldn't be choked out by the deceitfulness of riches, by cares of this world. Father, would you preserve us as you promised that you would? We pray and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.